that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. So today is National Frankenstein Day. Why? 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 It makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I think it is, actually. Maybe it was in the past. I take down these notes about national days that I find amusing. I think maybe the National Frankenstein. Is it Frankenstein or Frankenstein? No, it's Frankenstein. Or how do you pronounce it correctly, Jason? Frankenstein, yeah. (laughs) Like in a true Germanic sense, Frankenstein, yeah. Is it German? I believe that it is. Or yeah. like Transylvania. It's, no, wait, that's different. That's Dracula. Dracula. Frankenstein or Frankenstein? Now I'm confused. Well, the American is Frankenstein, but I believe the German pronunciation is Frankenstein. Okay. <laughs> so again, I depends how as, you want to pronounce it. As an inside joke, you know, like part of the fun of the show is people getting to know us differently and our weird sense of humor. Why should we hide our weird sense of humor? Well, if anyone stuck around for the first, you know, minute and 30 seconds, I guess we should tell them why it's funny to us. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny, though, if somebody like clicked play to listen and like heard me talk about National Frankenstein Day and they were like, ah, forget it. I'm not listening to this episode. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Be like, This is a little too out there for me. It's a little too <laughs> weird for me. <laughs> OK, whoa, this is actually really interesting. Before we get into the the personal inside joke that we have here, I just looked up Frankenstein Day, and it is in honor of the author, Mary Wollenstone Shelley, who was born on August 30th. 1797 is when she was born. She wrote that book in 1818. Wow. I had no idea it was that old. Wow. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. That's been with us in our lexicon. I mean, you think about how many Hollywood movies, how many adaptations in novels and comic books. I mean, Frankenstein as a villain slash horror movie icon. I mean, he's one of he's he's up there with Dracula. I also find it super fascinating that when you look up Frankenstein or Frankenstein, I like to say Frankenstein. That's what I want to stick with. That feels more comfortable to me even though it might be a mispronunciation. But that is very often confused for being the monster. But the story is of Victor Frankenstein, the doctor. a scientist yes. who experiments with the creation of human-like creature. And it's so interesting somehow how Frankenstein, Frankenstein... If you look it up, you see the picture of the monster, not of the scientist in most cases. Although the the third picture that came up for Frankenstein Day is a photo that I could see you posing for, Jason, because it's like this mad scientist with his his shoulders shrugged and he's like got this like shit eating grin on his face. And I'm going to send it to you. And it looks like something that like you would do in one of your photos. I mean, given the state of my current 
quarantine hair, I could probably pull it off. Oh, yeah. You could for sure. Kind of like that shrug photo that you did of many episodes back at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me, like how it's kind of goes to show how, you know, we were talking about in an episode that's coming up later with Shannon on our, our show. What was Shannon's last name? Remind me. Corn? Starts with a C? Yes. Shannon Corn. How we were discussing briefly how certain myths are perpetuated, especially when it comes to entertainment. And we think of it as very light, like, oh, it's just for entertainment. Like we can tell these stories and yet they can really deeply affect us, whether it's like romantic stories that confuse us about what actual romance and love is or something like Santa Claus, which I don't know if we discussed this before. I feel like we might have, but I know I was thinking to myself how it's kind of weird that we raise kids believing in Santa Claus and then one day we have to admit to them that it's all a lie. And that's kind of messed up. Yeah, I actually made a decision. Well, I don't want to have kids, but if I ever were to buy some crazy alternate reality, in my mind, I thought, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to do the Santa thing or the Easter Bunny thing or the Tooth Fairy thing or any of that stuff. Because I remember when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. It was something that... I remember a friend of mine named Doug told me, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. You know, it's like your mom, right? I was like, no, really? And part of me was like not super devastated by it. But I remember going to my mom and saying to her, I said, mom, so Doug told me uh, Santa Claus isn't real. Is that true? She's like, yeah. I was like, why didn't you just tell me it was you the whole time? Because I would have had an even deeper sense of appreciation and gratitude for you and what you were doing. And that just seems a bit silly. I wasn't angry or devastated by my illusions being shattered that Santa Claus wasn't real. Spoiler alert, everyone. Oh, boy, if there's any young listeners, we just shattered their reality. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's probably the biggest spoiler alert. Anyway, Santa's out of the bag. The presents are out of the bag. And I remember reacting to it like, why didn't you just tell me it was you? That It seemed so stupid and silly. I wasn't angry or upset. I was just like, well, that was dumb. Why don't you just tell me it was you like taking my teeth and giving me a $5 bill or, you know, you baking the cookies overnight and making the milk and whatever. I was just more confused and like that was dumb than anything. And I think I don't see the point. Like to me, it engenders a deeper sense, like I said, of gratitude and thankfulness if I knew it was her the whole time, if that makes sense. What was your reaction to finding out that the Santa and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny and all that stuff wasn't real? I have zero recollection. Really? I genuinely do not remember that experience. I don't know if I blocked it out or if it just wasn't that big of a deal. But yeah, it is interesting. Going back to my point, though, how part of it is like a lie. And as we talked about in that upcoming episode, which we'll link to, that episode's probably coming out in early to mid-October. And I've actually been thinking a lot about that episode with our guest, Shannon. So I'm excited for you, the listener, to hear it. And good reminder for you to subscribe to the show, not just because actually we don't even know how many people subscribe because podcasts don't track that very easily in the moment. We can only see how many people listen to our episodes, which kind of gives us an indication. So it doesn't serve us that much that you subscribe other than the fact that you may listen to the episodes. The reason I encourage you to to subscribe as a listener is that you'll be notified and you won't miss out on things like upcoming episodes. And depending on when you listen to this too, it may be easier for you to look at the show notes at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section, 
find this episode, which is episode 115, or you can type in any keyword in the search of our website and it'll pretty easily find the episode. If you typed Frankenstein, (laughs) you would find it pretty fast. But anyways, the reason to go to the show notes is that it will link to everything we've referenced. And the show notes are full of images and the transcript and all sorts of wonderful goodies for you there if you haven't ever seen it before. So anyways, in that episode with Shannon, we discussed how it might be doing us a disservice to perpetuate myths through entertainment. And the reason it ties into this conversation, it's like, all right, we know that Frankenstein's a doctor, not the monster. But if you look up Frankenstein, it's all images of the monster. So it's naturally incredibly confusing. And it's almost in a way like people are saying like, hey, we all know it's not the monster, but we're going to use the monster to represent this story and thus confuse you. And we know it's confusing, but we're going to continue to confuse you anyways. And I actually think... (laughs) I know it's a stretch, but that's kind of cruel. It's like we're purposefully confusing people. We're purposefully continuing a myth. And we actually did an episode that kind of ties into this too about myths like the Loch Ness Monster or conspiracies and how sometimes they're fun for entertainment. Sometimes they're kind of detrimental. It's really hard to find the truth. And I think that's why I get passionate about this is because... I like knowing the truth. I'm a truth seeker, as somebody might call me. And I also like entertainment, but kind of like when it comes to Santa Claus, if my parents had just told me right off the bat, hey, Santa Claus isn't real, but it is a fun thing for us to do as a family. And it's a very like culturally Christian thing that we do since we celebrate Christmas And we just want to let you know that we're just going to play pretend. That's very different than if you are told something over and over again and you believe that it's true. And then one day you find out it's not true. But like part of your identity or perspective on the world has been shaped around believing it's true, if that makes sense. I think that's actually like not great for our mental health, like psychologically can affect us in some deeper ways that you might not realize. I mean, even think about this. In the case of Frankenstein, if you spent your whole life believing that Frankenstein was the monster and you get to college, for example, and you're confidently talking about Frankenstein and someone's like, oh, you're an idiot. Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster. How embarrassing that would be. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Like, I mean, again, it's a stretch, but like, what if instead you were educated through society and realized that it wasn't the monster this whole time, it was the doctor, and thus you could be educated and still understand the references to it being... Does that make sense what I'm saying at all? Like, I just feel a bit irritated by how our culture sometimes allows us to be misled or confused. And it might seem like the simple brush off thing, like it's not that big of a deal, but that could actually lead to people having trust issues or getting into embarrassing situations or just generally feeling confused by life. Who wants to feel confused all the time? Not me. I think there's a big line of demarcation in my mind when we're talking about mythologies, right, Whitney, and we're talking about things that are perpetuated in culture through 
media, TV, movies, songs, or even stories that are passed down from generation to generation. I mean, if if we think about, this is going to be a semi-long tangent, so hang with me. But if we think about how stories and mythologies and religions are passed down, I'm going to link all those three together in my mind. Prior to TV, radio, or even books per se, it was passed down through word of mouth, right? It was sitting around the fire with small tribal human societies passing these stories and these mythologies and these archetypes down through the generations. It's one of the reasons I absolutely love Joseph Campbell's work so much. I've referenced him a lot here on the podcast, but he is one of my favorite authors because he talks about how, yes, the hero's journey is probably what he's most known for and George Lucas admitting that he copped Joseph Campbell's formula of the hero's journey for the Star Wars saga. And that's been repeated over and over, not just in cinema, but if we go back to ancient Greek, ancient Roman, ancient Egyptian, those kind of mythologies and religions, we see these archetypes, these tropes, these characters being repeated over and over again. The the line of demarcation for me though, Whitney, is that if I read a story from say, you know, the legend of Hercules or Jason and the Argonauts, or if I go back to the mythologies of Horus and Set and the things of ancient Egyptian, I was actually, spoiler alert, a little bit obsessed with Greek, Roman, and Egyptian mythology as a kid. I was totally obsessed with it, studied it in grade school. I loved those stories. But I realized the reason I loved those stories and those mythologies, and also they were religions at the time. We call them myths now, but those cultures believed that Zeus was the supreme god, and there were multiple gods. There were Hermes and Hera and Aphrodite and and much like Hindu, traditional Hindu culture, there were multiple gods and goddesses representing different aspects of life. So I think that mythology, in a way, is an attempt for humans, and religion also is an attempt for humans to explain the unexplainable, right? It's what are we? What are we doing here? How do we figure out our purpose in life? But to me, again, I think the difference in something like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, things like that, is there doesn't seem to me be any enduring message of hope, triumph, loss, pain, beauty, redemption, right? We look at religious stories, whether it's Jesus's journey in the Bible or Muhammad, or again, go to Hindu religion or the story of the Buddha or these ancient mythologies. There's generally a thread through of awakening, pain, loss, challenge, triumph, death, the things that we go through as human beings, right? But we have these archetypes and these stories to frame them in a way to inspire and hopefully move us emotionally and create some level of relatability that maybe what we're going through with our own personal challenges, our pain, our loss, our triumph is not just an empty echo in the universe that other humans and gods and goddesses and archetypes have gone through it before. The thing with Santa, Easter Bunny, blah, 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 is like there's no redeeming sense of triumph or everlasting message about human existence in it, right? It's just like, oh, there's this like fat white guy with a beard who somehow makes his way down your chimney. But wait, I don't have a chimney. Ah, let's just leave that logic out of it. He comes through the window. That's a bit creepy. So Santa's breaking into my house. Do you see my point, though, is like people are always like, oh, but it's a child's imagination and it's fantasy and it's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I get that part. But to me, religion or mythology has a much more enduring effect on the human consciousness than something like Santa, which to me doesn't have any real everlasting value. Does all that rant make sense? (laughs) For sure. It's actually really fascinating. And I mean, it definitely ties back into our conversation about conspiracy theories. And we'll link to that episode, which did trigger some people. I mean, (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
we got a, a very triggered response to that episode because some people really do hold tightly to some of these conspiracy theories and believe them to be true. And we're not saying that they're true or false, but I think that's part of this cultural confusion that we have where it's hard to know what's right or wrong, what's real or fake. And it's kind of all up to us to discern, but there's freedom in that discernment as well as, for me, that overwhelm, that sadness, that fear. I think it is also about trust in a lot of ways. Trust is a huge, huge part of this. And if we don't feel like we can trust our parents to tell us the truth, that's a huge issue. If we don't feel like we can trust our friends, I mean, especially during this time of COVID, it's been incredibly confusing to make a lot of decisions. I am planning, for instance, a cross-country road trip, which is coming up a few days after this episode airs. And part of the work that I feel very overwhelmed about is researching how to stay safe during a pandemic and travel. And I feel overwhelmed about it because I haven't started yet. And the resistance to starting is simply feeling like, how am I going to possibly figure out the truth? I have to comb through all of this information that's loaded with opinions, that's loaded with conspiracy theories. How do I just find basic information so I can take care of myself? But because our society is so clouded with misinformation, with what some people call fake news, with opinions and arguments and people doing things for their own self-service. Like in this case, ooh, like the pandemic is great SEO. So I'm going to put out a blog post just to capitalize on all the traffic I could get to my website, but I'm not even going to provide anything of real value to somebody who's seeking it out. When you go and Google something or use whichever search engine you prefer, you have to sift through so much information to try to figure out what you believe is true. <laughs> and this is like incredibly frustrating for someone like me who enjoys research. But I imagine it also might be frustrating for someone who doesn't enjoy research because you might not even want to start looking for information simply because it requires so much time and energy to try to figure these things out, which makes me wonder why in the U.S. we have so many issues with our election system, like the amount of obstacles we're going to have to overcome for this election that we have coming up in November seems overwhelming because every day there's confusing information about the politicians. There is a lot of information coming out right now about the voting system, like how to vote through the mail and can you safely vote in person and all these things. I already feel incredibly nervous about just the simple act of voting and the amount of people that may not vote because of that is really sad. So my rant here is that, yes, we started talking about something simple and innocent like Frankenstein, but it kind of plays into this whole cultural challenge that we have about misinformation and misunderstandings and how something really tiny like that or Santa Claus even, which is like misleading somebody for the sake of magic or childlike wonder, which sounds really special that also reminds me of Disney. And this came up in our conversation with Shannon, which again, if we haven't alluded to it enough, 
We really think you're going to like that episode because I loved it. In it, Shannon says that she felt very misled by Disney and she, and she kind of brushed it off like a little joke. But I took it very seriously because, yes, like I love Disney. I love watching those movies and I love the parks and all the elements of Disney. I don't mind that it's expensive and that it's a money machine. Like I can disregard that. But what I take issue with is how many of us grow up seeing these messages in movies that Disney puts out and other entertainment puts out, which is not only confusing us about what's real, but teaching us things that may not actually serve us in the long run. This came up in a book that I've been reading. I think this one was in the book Trick Mirror, which I will link to. It's one of the best books. I have been listening to the audiobook version of it, which is read by the author, and it's phenomenal. It is like one of the best audiobooks I've listened to in a while. It is so deep. It's taking me weeks and weeks to get through it. And I'm probably going to re-listen to it on my road trip, actually, because it's that good. But I think it was in that book where she talked about how as a child, as a female child, she would watch Disney and always stop the movie before it got to the wedding because she didn't care about the weddings. But there were so many weddings in these Disney movies. And looking back as an adult, she realized how much these movies were trying to like shape us as children to like base our relationships on that happy ending. And to prepare for the wedding and what we looked like, how we dressed, the ups and downs of our relationships, the twists and turns, like you go to the Joseph Campbell and like, in a way, Joseph Campbell's stories are like this too. Shannon also talked about this in her episode, how a lot of the entertainment we receive about relationships is based on the highs and lows. Joseph Campbell's are like that. It's about the hero's journey. But what happens after that end of the story? Then what? That's the big question with a lot of Disney movies. Like they're all about happy endings, but what happens after that happy ending? We usually are not taught those things. And so then we go through life feeling a little bit confused or unprepared or maybe wondering when is our happy ending going to happen? Will it ever happen or what happens after that? So many of these movies ending with a wedding. So many people go through their lives like looking forward to their wedding and being positioned to them as the best day of their life. Like that, I kind of take issue with that. I don't want my wedding to feel like the best day of my life. Does that mean that every day after my wedding is bad or never as good? Wow, that's deep, Whitney. It's a brilliant observation. And I think what it brings up for me is how many layers of conditioning and programming there are from the moment that we arrive on this planet, right? As long as we, I suppose, in the idea of the princess archetype, it's like finding your prince charming. He comes and whisks you away on a white horse with his sword, takes you to his castle. You have a bunch of babies and, and live happily ever after. It's reinforcing the trope that for women, you find a man who's this big, studly, handsome, strapping, powerful person who in our culture right now usually also means rich and well-off, and he's going to take care of you, and you'll never have to worry about another thing. I mean, it's also an offshoot kind of the post-war 50s mentality of just, you know, be a good housewife, make the food, take care of the home, dad's away at a nine-to-five, taking care of the kids, you've got a house with a white picket fence, two kids, a dog and a cat, blah, 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 whatever it is. There's so many versions of this over the course of history, right? What it's reinforcing in our ethos mentally in our culture is that if you just check off all the boxes, we talked about this in our episode with Taylor Proctor 
of this idea of checking off all the boxes on the list. I think that these two things are intertwined in the sense that get the right job, have a really high paying career, find the right life partner, wife, husband, whatever it is, get the house, the really nice house, buy the really nice BMW or Mercedes, whatever the hell it is. There's so many versions of this. Just make sure you check off all the boxes and have all this importance on your wedding and the birth of your first child and all of the promotions you're going to have at work and saving for your retirement and having your pension. It's like, and then you get to a point in your life where it's almost like if I don't have these things, am I actually fulfilled? Am I living a good life? Because what if I'm not married? And what if I don't have a life partner yet? And what if I don't have any kids? What if I don't want any kids? What if I'm not in this high paying career? What if I don't drive a BMW or Mercedes or back in the day it was a Cadillac? What if I don't have these things? I must be failing at life. And that's a very dangerous thing. And it sounds innocent, like you said, Whitney, when we're talking about Frankenstein and Santa Claus and Disney, but underneath the surface, there's a lot of programming that is being done in people's subconscious, deep programming. And it's important to examine this because what are we chasing in life? And do we actually even care about what we're chasing or have we just been convinced to care? To me, this is one of the greatest and most important things we have to discern in our life as adult. Is what we want really what we want? Or have we been convinced by the cartoons, the comics, the movies, the music, our parents, our religion, society, have implanted ideas about what we should want, but we confuse the two. But often, the more I go on in life, I'm finding that these things that I was told that I should want at the deepest core of my being, I don't fucking want them. Yeah. I mean, this is the big question. And I think something that we continue to come back to over and over again, which is trying to sift through everything that we've been taught to try to figure out who we are and who we want to be and how do we want to live our lives. And it feels to me, by the way, it's a little crazy that we got on this subject matter after me bringing up a silly holiday. And I just want to say <laughs> that something as simple as a silly national day can really turn into a deep conversation. So thank you for going there with me, Jason. And thank you to the listener for getting past the first few minutes where it sounded like we were just laughing this off and going to move on. We didn't intend to talk about this today at all. <laughs> but I think that the core of this conversation is about trying to figure out yourself given all of the mixed messages we receive in our societies. And we are speaking on the subject matter as privileged white people in the United States. Your experience as a listener may be completely different. We actually have people from all around the world that listen to the show. And I'm super curious, like, what is the experience of someone from a completely different culture or background? So when I say culture, I'm referring to the culture I know. But this isn't going to be the case in different countries or different family units or different cultures, whatever that may be for you. So that's also part of what's fascinating here. I think, though, it seems to be a very common dare I say, universal theme of trying to figure ourselves out in the context of the world around us. And that I think is confusing for many of us, which seems to me almost like the human path. And it does kind of come back to Joseph Campbell and the positive of him is really that hero's journey is very much about 
figuring out your own identity, carving out your own path, going through these hardships. I think that element of Joseph Campbell's work is crucial to us. And that's what it's really all about. It's that his story structure has been utilized in some of these other ways that we've been referring to, whether it's Star Wars. Now, we like Star Wars on this show. I'm not saying there's anything bad with Star Wars, but it still does follow that same path, like people needing to be rescued or people struggling with their parental figures and what does that mean? And then going against the grain, being rebellious. There's a lot of messaging in Star Wars, too, that maybe feeds into some of these things that we're discussing here. But I think those stories also are very much about like, who am I? I mean, Star Wars, of course, that's one of the biggest questions. (laughs) Like Luke Skywalker is trying to figure out who he is. And he goes through all these journeys to try to come to that conclusion. And then ultimately, kind of a a spoiler alert, but like when I think of the end of Luke Skywalker, I think of him being very at peace with himself when he goes into this place of isolation It has to be pulled out of it again to play a role. And then he ends up doing something really powerful at the end of his life, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's this deep examination that if we strip away the conditioning, the programming, the belief systems, the external material things that we think define us, our career, our title, the amount of money we make. It's not to say these things don't have value, but I think that the beingness, like the eternal being that we are, has nothing to do with titles or belief systems or conditioning or programming or any of those things. This is a lifelong examination, really, because the more work that I have done on myself in terms of meditation, mindfulness, working with my mentor, Michael, using psychedelic, nootropic drugs to explore other states of consciousness. The pastiche, I guess, of things one could do to examine one's consciousness. It's an interesting thing. The Sufis, the ancient Sufis had a saying that said to be in the world, but not of it. And the way that I interpret that Sufi saying is that we can be in the world, right? As Jason, as Whitney, as podcast hosts, content creators, wellness advocates, hosts, all of these titles we have, you know, whatever money we make, whatever awards we win, whatever people we hang out with, however we identify in terms of gender, religion, spirituality, whatever it is, you know, the deeper level of existence and beingness is underneath all of those things. It's like, I have to remind myself of this all the time. And the Sufi wisdom is something I carry with me. It's this sense of you can exist in the world of structure and title and materialism, but you don't have to think that it is you and that it defines who you are. And I think that's critically important because I believe there's a lot of, based on this programming we're talking about, these belief systems, what we think we ought to be doing, what we think we ought to have, ought to do gain, loss, success, failure, all of this dualistic stuff, we often use it as humans to torture ourselves and make ourselves feel horrible when we're not living up to some idea of how we thought our lives were supposed to be. And I'm saying this from direct experience. And I'm still battling through a lot of this myself, Whitney, is that I thought that by age 43, I would be in this specific place and I'm not there. And there are moments where I'm like, ah, you failed, you fell short, you fucked up, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, yada, yada, yada. But 
that's a fatalistic kind of thinking. I don't feel like that's a type of thinking ultimately benefits us. I think that's a type of thinking that if we feel like we failed because we didn't reach these goals that society told us to, that's an excuse to be unkind or punitive or mean to ourselves. And I feel like a lot of people, and myself included, fall into that sometimes. And then so goes back to what you were saying, as we strip away the conditioning and the belief systems and the cultural ideals that we think we ought to live up to in whatever your culture is. And I'm sure, depending on, again, who's listening, your culture may have different ideas of what success and fulfillment and happiness may be. But to be in the wilderness, going back to some of Joseph Campbell's sort of archetypes, to be in the wilderness and not have a clearly laid out path in front of you can be terrifying, but it can also be liberating. Because if you don't know where you're at and you don't know the path you're walking, that's a tremendous point of opportunity, right? Where, okay, I don't want to walk these paths that have been laid out for me by my parents, religion, society, culture. But that's a liberating but also scary place, right? Because then it's like, oh, wow, that means that I am going to carve my own path. And yeah, that sometimes is a beautiful and also terrifying place to be. It's funny you bring that up too, because I feel like I'm entering my own hero's journey in some ways in this context going on this road trip. And that's actually something I've thought about too, is wondering how much of it I should even try to plan. And that's something I continuously developing my relationship with is I feel safe when I have a plan. I feel safe when I do research and I understand things. And I'm okay with uncertainty on a level but I kind of would prefer uncertainty when I don't feel like I can do anything else. But how do I put this? As we've talked about many times on this show, uncertainty is a given. Like nothing is certain. We don't know anything. We don't really have nearly as much control as we believe that we do. And I think a lot of our society is based on trying to perpetuate this myth of control and certainty. And as we've discussed, that's been a huge thing during COVID is recognizing that certainty is a bit of a myth. I think that opened a lot of our eyes to it during this time where suddenly we feel so thrown off. And I was thinking about this during the context of my road trip, but also as a side note, I had a small experience yesterday that reminded me of uncertainty because it was something that felt like it came out of nowhere. I'm not going to go into the specifics on this episode, but I never th- would have predicted what the small experience I had would be. I didn't see it coming. And suddenly it was like, oh, I have another obstacle that I need to get over. And I was not planning on dealing with that obstacle today. I thought I was going to do all of these other obstacles that have been on my to-do list and have been on my calendar. And sometimes life just shows us something. And now we have another hurdle to get over. And I remember feeling similarly with the pandemic, kind of when the Black Lives Matter movement built so much during the end of May, beginning of June, it was like, whoa, okay, this is something I need to address. And wow, I'm going to study how to be an ally and add that to my plate. And I remember like, gosh, like I have so much education that I need to do right now. But that felt like such a big priority and continues to be. Did I plan back in May to spend so much time reading books about racism and being an ally? No. I plan to read other books, but 
curveball, right? I decided to make that a bigger priority and I'm glad I did. Did I plan back in February and March (laughs) for the whole world to be turned upside down? Of course not. Like I kind of knew about COVID before that time, but didn't really think it was going to affect me. And now here we are. And then in the more immediate incident, in the immediate time right now, I didn't even plan on going on this road trip that I'm about to head out for. That came up over the last few days for me as of the time we're recording. And when this episode is released, I'll be getting ready to leave. But I remember when the opportunity to go on this road trip first came up, I faced so much resistance to it. I was really scared. And I wanted to say no to it, even though it was something I really wanted. And it reminded me of a few years ago, a similar experience happened where I was invited to go to Greece for like a two-week-long trip, mostly paid for, right? Somebody invited me, not going into the details, but it's not like something to hide. It was my boyfriend at the time invited me and he paid for most of the trip, which was very generous of him. But when he invited me to go on that trip, I felt so much resistance. And it's interesting to look back on that because it seems so silly. Like I had wanted to go to Greece for 10 plus years previous to that. I think it's interesting you brought up Greek mythology, Jason. Like I was so fascinated by Greece and it was like on my list of places to go one day. And yet when the opportunity came up for me, I felt scared. And now here I am again, a couple of years later, somebody else, a friend invites me to go on this road trip that I really wanted to go on. I've been thinking and talking about going on a road trip for months. And yet when the invite was presented to me, I felt really scared. So how did I deal with that? I started to plan. I started to try to control it. I tried to anticipate any potential obstacles. I tried to I'm currently trying to gather so much information so that I can protect myself physically and emotionally. And it's really daunting. And as I've been doing this preparation, I also realize that there's a very good chance that things are not going to go as planned. I've been there before. Jason and I went on a road trip last year. I planned the hell out of that trip. I had a whole itinerary. I had a schedule for us. Actually, most things went according to plan with that trip. But that doesn't mean it's going to be the case this time. Like there's so many curveballs. And I found myself and continuously find myself trying to anticipate all that. And it's really exhausting. So it's interesting coming into this conversation about things like the hero's journey, Jason, because it's like, I think sometimes we need to enter into that period of uncertainty and the unknown and just be okay with whatever the outcome is. But it's really tough for someone like me because. I don't feel comfortable doing that. My safety is very tied into trying to anticipate challenges because I guess maybe part of me doesn't fully trust myself to be able to deal with curveballs, even though, as I mentioned yesterday, I had a curveball. I don't know if I handled it to the best of my abilities, but I handled it the best I knew how to in that moment. And also one more thing I'd add, (laughs) I felt like I made a little bit of a mistake yesterday in that scenario when this curveball was thrown at me. I did my best. I talked to a few friends about it. I got a few different perspectives. I gathered my information and then I took some action. 
And then today I heard from another friend who I shared the story with and she gave me a different piece of advice. And I found myself going, oh my gosh, I wish I had that piece of advice yesterday when I made my decision. And I found myself wanting to like wishing that I could have done things differently. But I think this also ties into this conversation of like, we can only do the best that we know how to with the information that we have in that moment. And sometimes we have to make a game time decision and it might not be the right decision and that's okay. Yeah. This is the ability to improvise with stuff that we didn't expect. This is just the nature of life. And I find that whenever we initiate something, in particular, something that requires a great energy, planning, persistence, determination, that there's an element of life called second force. And the way that I perceive second force, Whitney, in, in the way you're talking about is obviously a road trip like this is a lot of intention. It's a vision. It's planning. It's trying to anticipate challenges and outcomes. And also knowing there will be things you did not expect and did not plan for, right? Being realistic about it. And I think that those moments of second force and understanding that life will present us with second force, that it's not because the universe is a malevolent place. It's not because life is out to destroy us. I don't believe that. But I believe that we are in a reality of duality, that when we initiate energy, that energy is met with us in life. Life will meet us at the energy we put out. And so it's also when we are launching a really big project, whether it's a podcast or a book, we've talked about you know becoming best-selling authors and releasing books or the TV series I had or the TV appearances Whitney's been on or the fact that we've toured together. It's inevitable that when we initiate something big that requires great energy and focus and intention and vision, life will present us with that second force and unexpected challenges. And knowing that those are going to be there, Whitney, I'm wondering if that gives you a sense of a trepidation or fear, like, oh, I know there's going to be, because there will be unexpected things that arise, you know this, or does it embolden you to trust your improvisation skills? Like, does it give you the opportunity to go, okay, I know that whatever is going to get thrown at me, I can improvise my way through it and make on the spot decisions. Like knowing that these curveballs are coming. Does it terrify you or do you go like, I know it's coming and I'm going to handle it? Well, I think trust is an interesting thing. And that kind of ties back into the beginning part of this episode, which is how I feel frustrated when misinformation is presented or I find out something was wrong or a lie. It erodes my feelings of trust and trust is something I'm continuously trying to work on and improve because I realize that I have a lot of trust issues and I can't think of anything major that happened, but it's all about these small things. And so again, coming back to the beginning where something might seem small and innocent, like whether or not you realize Frankenstein is a doctor and not a monster, that sounds like who cares if you get that confused. But if you spend your life and you add up all of these different moments of confusion and lies and misinformation, it can actually erode your trust two things start to happen is that you will start to trust yourself less and you'll start to trust others less. When people lie to you, it becomes really hard to trust people because you might always be thinking, someone's lying to me. And then if you have the wrong information, again, like going back to that example of, let's say you're in college and you 
confidently state that Frankenstein is a monster and someone points out that he's the doctor, maybe you start to trust yourself less because you don't know if you have all the information. And I have both of those things. I am often second guessing myself and often second guessing other people. And that is really challenging. It does make it hard in these times where I have to make decisions because I'm often wondering if I'm making the right decision or if the person that I'm with is making the right decision and trusting that whatever decision I make is ultimately the best decision in that moment. Like I said about yesterday's really tiny experience I had, but how I was reflecting on that. And I think what guides me, what comforts me, I suppose, is knowing that (laughs) you just have to proceed. Black Lives Matter taught me a lot about this, which was it's better to just do something and say something than to be silent and still because you learn so much through the process of speaking and moving forward. And I'm very worried, and I have been through most of my life, about somebody not giving me another chance. Like when you bring that up about the second force, is that what you called it, Jason? Yeah, second force. Which is not a term I don't think I've heard before, but it's interesting because I have this fear of not getting another chance, of getting it wrong, of being rejected. And I've had that happen to me a lot in my life. It's been kind of scarring. I've made mistakes and someone's like, that's it. You're done. Like you don't get another chance. And that's like, terrifying for me. Like I really want the freedom to make mistakes. That's I feel safe when I feel like I can make a mistake. It's kind of like in school, whenever I had a teacher who would be like, there's no right or wrong answer. Like you can raise your hand and shout something out. Like there's no such thing as a wrong answer. And I loved those type of teachers. But I also had some teachers that if you said the wrong answer, they would like make a big deal out of it. You'd either get a bad grade or you'd be kind of uh, embarrassed in class if it was in front of other people. And that feeling of like, wow, like, is it safe for me to make a mistake? And I think that's certainly coming up during this road trip. I feel like any mistake that could happen, as long as I'm alive (laughs) and my health isn't compromised, like it'll be a success. You know, like my big aim with this trip is to enjoy it, but also to make it through to the end safely. I mean, just be frank, my friend and I are two women and there's dangers when you're traveling. We could get into a car accident. Our car could break down. And my parents were so nervous when I was initially planning to do a road trip on my own cross country. And it actually had me reflecting so much about how there's a lot of scary situations that women can get into and and how sad it is that as a woman, I need to like be worried about whether someone's going to kidnap me or murder me or rape me, whatever. Like that's so disturbing. And also reminds me of Black Lives Matter, the amount of people that live every single day in fear of their own lives. Like that's really a sad reality that we live in. And I hope that that shifts. But on a lighter note, There's also, for the road trip, the concern about COVID and all the precautions I need to take around that. So in some senses, there's no such thing as making a mistake on a trip like this. But in other senses, there absolutely is. Because if I made a mistake and got COVID, not only could that affect my health, but that could affect anybody I come in contact with. And that's scary. That's not going to prevent me from doing it, but it is a reality. It's a possibility. 
And the same thing goes like if I'm not careful, if I could get in a bad situation and I guess like sometimes you just have to move through life and do it anyways, because I could get COVID in Los Angeles going to the grocery store. True. True. I could be killed walking down the street to the grocery store, kidnapped, raped, like horrible things could happen to me at any moment's notice. And if we are constantly considering that, it's not so great for our mental health. So (laughs) I guess it takes a lot of work to just move forward in life, knowing that anything could happen at any moment. Curveballs are constantly being thrown at us no matter what we're doing. And just going back to the Black Lives Matter lesson for me, which was I might as well make mistakes while moving forward because I could also make mistakes by standing still. It's well said, Wit. I think to touch upon something about you choosing to do this road trip, even with the possibility of some of these really challenging or awful or painful or deadly things happening, it brings up a more philosophical overlay, I think, with life in general, but in particular with the backdrop of COVID-19. And it's this, what is the line and what is the balance between preserving life and protecting life at all costs versus actually living our lives? This is an ongoing, very nuanced, very layered conversation about some of the people who are anti-maskers and the people who believe this entire situation was systematically planned. And there's a lot of perspectives on that. We've touched upon a few of those in previous episodes. But I think aside from that group of people, there is a conversation about opening the world back up in the sense of many countries and municipalities and cities, Los Angeles, one of them has some pretty hardcore rules in place in terms of the quarantine still in the desire to preserve and protect life and prevent further infections and death. But I think that a lot of the anxiety that I have been feeling and also observing in other people is that balance between preservation and protection and prevention versus, okay, we realize there are risks here. Can they be mitigated? How big are the risks? Can we somehow calculate them and then live our lives? And I'm not saying this because I am an anti-masker. i wear masks out in public. I feel like even if the statistics are overblown and even if there is a component of this that has been systematically programmed and there are there's misinformation and lies, I still feel like wearing a mask is, I feel very healthy and solid with my immunity. It's more to potentially protect other people. That aside though, it is a question, Whitney, right? Of in overly protecting or overly planning or overly being cautious how are we limiting our ability to live our lives, right? Because there's risks in most things, as you're saying. You could get killed, raped, infected, dead in LA, just walking down the street. Not to be morbid, but you're right. At what point do we say, I know there are risks involved? Like every time we get in a car and drive down city streets, there's risks involved. Every time we get on an airplane, there's risks involved. We go rock climbing. We go hiking in the woods. I don't know that I have an answer. It's more just to open this dialogue because you peaked it in me. You piqued my interest in this. Yeah, is just where is the line between being overly protective and just saying, fuck it, I'm going to live my life? I mean, I think it is one of those things where we don't always have a ton of control based on how we're educated, how we're raised, the circumstances that we have, the 
opportunities and access that we have to things. It's it's different for each of us. And each of us are often faced with these questions like, can I trust this situation? What is the best answer for me right now? What is the best course of answer? I mean, course of action. I think that a lot of us deal with this every day in some capacity, and it can be very overwhelming, so much so that we may get paralyzed and feel unable to take action, to be afraid. Oh my gosh, this reminds me also of earlier today, I had my call for my group Beyond Measure. And right now I'm in a stage with Beyond Measure of testing it out with a small group of invite only people. And eventually it'll be opened up. So for you, the listener, you will have the opportunity to be part of Beyond Measure at some point. So stay tuned because I'll share with you when that time has come. But we have these weekly calls, which are something I never could have even planned or predicted. Like It's actually one of the greatest things I feel like I've ever done professionally because it's taken on a life of its own and it's just like leaves me speechless sometimes. And today we talked a lot about boundaries and this is actually inspired by our our podcast episode with Shannon, which (laughs) I think by now everybody's going to be chomping at the bit to listen to that because it's really great. And it really was thought provoking. And I reflected a lot after recording that episode on boundaries and what do boundaries mean for me and other people. And that curveball I experienced yesterday was about a, a conversation that I didn't see coming. And it ended on a note about boundaries and how this person had to set a boundary with me. And I didn't even realize that I might have crossed the boundary or something. You know what I mean? It was really fascinating. And then today on our Beyond Measure call, we as a group, discussed our boundaries. And it brought up so many emotions within people. And people started to realize where they felt like others have crossed their boundaries and how that's led them to feel unsafe or unable to trust others. And I started to recognize that so many people are living their lives from all of these different experiences that have shaped who they are today and their worldview can feel so blinded until somebody else opens it up and maybe positions it in a way where they can see outside of that perspective and realize that either life feels scarier than they realize. Like for me, I think I went through most of my life very innocent and it was like, wasn't until Either I went to college or like the year before college, I started to like realize more about the world because I grew up in such a small town and it was like I was very protected and isolated in some ways, which was beautiful. But in other ways, there was a lot of ignorance that I had. I guess my whole life, I'm trying to shed away my ignorance. As I mentioned, like working on recognizing where I might have been racist in my life and how can I be a better ally? That's all unfolding. And so some people might be more on the innocent side of the spectrum. Others might have had traumas or experiences that shaped them to trust the world less and to view this other people as being unsafe. And I have this huge desire to make people feel safe. That's the core of my development with Beyond Measure is to give a safe place for people to open up 
and connect and get support and share the highs and lows of life. And I've realized through doing this program that a lot of people have never experienced that before. And so going back to this question, Jason, which is how do you proceed when like there's horrific possibilities? I think we just don't really have a choice. And when it comes to the road trip, I felt that resistance come up, but I said yes anyways. And I considered saying no. I considered putting it off. I remember I was like kind of hoping that my friend would cancel. But the more she said yes, the more I said, all right, I really want to say yes too, but I'm afraid. And I am so grateful that this friend has invited me on this journey because it revealed me so much about her, her that I didn't even know. Like I didn't know we're both learning so much about each other through the process of planning, which is such a beautiful gift. But by me learning about her, I'm showing, I'm learning how I haven't trusted other people. And I'm learning and noticing the ways in which I've tried to control situations and continue to control situations. And I think that's the big lesson, Jason, is that we have a lot of challenges throughout life. Life is just a challenge. Life is hard sometimes. Life is hard a lot of the times. Life is scary and uncertain. But to me, I proceed during tough times simply because either, A, I know I don't have a choice. Like I said, even when you stand still, things still happen. You could be sitting in your home in Los Angeles, there could be an earthquake and you're crushed underneath the roof, you know, like not to be, uh, what's the word, morbid, but we already kind of have been morbid. You could be struck by lightning. I mean, there's so many freak accidents. You could be hit by a bus. You could just be doing the most innocent thing and have a heart attack. You know, like we don't have that control. So we might as well go and be brave and do things anyways whenever we have that desire to try. And I also think that the reason I proceed during times of resistance and fear and uncertainty is knowing that I'm going to learn so much more about myself. And that's ultimately the big reason that I'm saying yes to this road trip. It is kind of a hero's journey moment for me. I know that I'm going to come out the other side with a lot of happy memories and a lot of unexpected things could happen. And I just got to go with it and experience, or I'm choosing to go with it. Ultimately, I don't have to do anything, but I'm looking forward to seeing what I learn about myself. And Jason and I have already planned to do a podcast episode about my experience. And we're going to bring my friend on. She said yes to. She's actually someone we've wanted to have a guest on the show for a while. And I'm not going to reveal who she is, but she's a really amazing person that some of you may know through her incredible work. And so I look forward to sharing all the lessons that I learn along the way and we'll be documenting it as well. So if you would like, you can follow me on Instagram. I haven't decided actually if I'm going to be posting about this on my at Eco Vegan Gal account or my at Wit Lauritsen, which is my new account. But uh, we'll notify you through Wellevator. I'll make sure if you're following us on at Wellevator, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, our Instagram account, I'll make sure to post something there for you. And Jason might share something on his. So we'll make it easy for you, I promise. And at the very least, you can listen to that summary episode whenever it comes out. As we get close to the finish line with brand shout outs and the frequently asked queries, I just want to 
input one small thing going back to Joseph Campbell and I suppose putting a bow on this conversation, Whitney, talking about the fears and the trepidations and feeling scared and doing it anyway. We look at a lot of the mythology of these monsters, these villains, these demons, these scary things in the cave that we are afraid to face, right? Be it a dragon. Again, any kind of archetype of scary monster in all of these mythologies and religions. Much like, spoiler alert, I'm just going to go there. In The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke is on Dagobah and Yoda's training him and tells him to go into the cave in the swamp, and Luke has a vision of Darth Vader, he battles with Darth Vader's apparition and he beheads Darth Vader. He takes off Darth Vader's mask and sees his face there. I think that these fears, these terrors, these proverbial demons and monsters that we face and we've seen in all of these religions and mythologies over the centuries. Ultimately, I think when we go into the cave and we face the dragon, we realize that the dragon is us. There's no externalization. It's not like, oh, it's this monster outside of me. The monster is a product of our thinking. It's a product of our fear. It's a product of our conditioning. It's a product of our not enoughness. So to me, I always remind myself that if there's something that scares the shit out of me and I'm externalizing it, not in every situation, but most situations, that thing that is scaring the shit out of me, the proverbial monster is a construct of my own thinking. Well said, Jason. I think that's a wonderful way to summarize this. And sometimes these episodes are not easy to summarize and it doesn't even need to be. So I appreciate you attempting that at least. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So brand shout outs. Boy, oh boy, there are so many. I think the first one off the top of my head, we have mentioned this company in a previous episode. It was really early on in the podcast. So if you're a longtime listener, you may have heard this episode. If you have not, we will link to it in the show notes. It was a episode about Beyond Meat, the IPO, the positive response, the negative response, the financial implications of the innovations going on in the plant-based meat industry. So I tried this when it first came out, but I didn't really jump on the bandwagon. But lately, I have been going absolutely crazy on the Beyond Meat sausages, Whitney. I have been going to Lassen's, which is a local uh, natural food store here in Southern California. And I've been loving it because it's gluten-free, it's soy-free, the ingredient list is pretty simple, and I feel great after I eat these sausages. I've been using it. My girlfriend Laura and I made a dinner for her mom last week where we made like a Korean japchae noodles and did some grilled sausages in there. Last night, we had some German style with spicy mustard and sauerkraut and these amazing gluten-free buns. So I have been going ham, not ham, <laughs> on these Beyond Meat sausages. I'm in love. They are so delicious. I've been using them in so many different styles of cuisine. And I just right now, honestly, I can't get enough. I'm eating them a lot and I'm loving them. Oh, I love that. I am so grateful you brought it up for a couple of reasons. One is because we get a lot of queries related to Beyond Meat, I think because we've talked about them a few times how they went public and the IPO, how I bought stock with them. And I just love seeing the Beyond Meat developments. They had their first commercial come out, which was so well done. I just think Beyond Meat's incredible. And I actually had some today too. I like buying their ground beef alternative because you can make it into meatballs or burgers or add it into sauces. There's so much you can do with it. And I really like the taste. The sausages, I agree, are fantastic. And they have the breakfast sausage now, which is really good. And they're available 
I think a Dunkin' Donuts and like a few places offer them. I'm in complete awe of Beyond Meat. I'm partial to them. My stomach feels awful when I eat Impossible Foods. I have nothing against Impossible. Aside from the fact that they use genetically modified ingredients, that does bother me. But I'll eat it from time to time and usually regret it because it doesn't make me feel good. (laughs) But Beyond Meat... I feel pretty good after eating it. Sometimes it upsets my stomach too just because of my digestive issues. But I think overall Beyond Meat has just been transformative. And I talked about the KFC chicken and all of that. I think that's really cool. So I'm glad you brought it up because the sausages may not get that much coverage. I think a lot of people focus on some of the other products. And uh, I just think the sausages are outstanding. And I've tried a lot of the other brands like Light Life, their sausages are okay, I gotta say. No offense to Light Life. Some of their products are nice, but the Beyond Meat sausages are really solid. I think like my favorite Light Life product might be their tempeh. They make really good tempeh. I'm trying to think what else I've had by Light Life that I enjoyed. They're trying and everything, there's something for everyone out there. And we're so fortunate to have so many options. That reminds me too, at Trader Joe's, they have a Beyond Meat like patty that I think is not good, but their turkeyless burger. Have you tried that, Jason? Because it's awesome. No, but I've seen the hype on TikTok and Instagram about it. I have not yet tried it. You like it though. I really like it. I thought, how could it be any different than the beef patties that they have, which I think are really gross. Like they just don't work for me. But the turkeyless burgers at Trader Joe's really lovely and surprised me. And I was never a big like turkey fan growing up, like turkey meat. But I love buying these from Trader Joe's. My shout out first is based on this delightful experience that I had this week because of Instagram. This woman who I found out has been, for lack of a better term, following me. I just feel like that term makes me feel a little gross. Actually, I'll put it in her words. She said she discovered my YouTube channel in 2010, and this is the Eco Vegan Gal channel. And she gave me 13 or so of her chocolate products that she hand makes. And this woman is so talented. She hand delivered them to me, which were, I think, nine or 10 chocolate bars and with slash truffles, a chocolate elixir mixed with mushroom powders, and two of these jars, which are kind of like a raw vegan cookie dough slash like flavored nut butter. They're cashew based. They're outstanding. And I'm sorry to say, Jason, I already finished both jars. I tried my best, but it probably wouldn't have been something good to share with you anyways, because I was dipping the spoon in over and over again after putting it in my mouth. So it's certainly wasn't a good thing to share during COVID, but I do have plenty of the chocolate left to share with you if you uh, <laughs> don't wait too long. But here's what's really cool. Her company is called Hoff Chocolates, H-O-P-F. That's her last name. Andrea is her name. And she is just a magical human being, super talented. They're all raw vegan chocolates that are incredibly flavorful, beautiful packaging. She was born and raised in Germany, and she originally moved to Los Angeles to be a musician, but then decided to start this small chocolate company. And she says that this is what truly brings her joy, and you can taste it through her work. And I'm just blown away. Her packaging is plastic-free. 
She uses plant-based chocolate sleeves to put the chocolates into that are certified compostable. I don't know how she has accomplished all this on her own. She sells them at farmer's markets and online. I will link to them. Also, all of her butters are palm oil free. I mean, this woman has gone the extra mile. She uses superfoods like maca, these like jarred treats, whatever you want to call them. One of them is a truffle cream that you can have for breakfast or dessert. One of them is a maca chocolate chip cookie dough made with cacao nibs. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason. I feel like as I'm sharing you these details, you're like so envious of me right now. I'm frowning. You can't see it. <laughs> I'm frowning. It's my version of that emoji that's like, you know the emoji, yep. the frown emoji. That's me. I mean, these are amazing, but I think I think I would have been just still blown away simply because of this woman who gave these to me. It was so generous. And she just had this magical energy behind her that I'm just astounded by. And then on top, it's the icing of the cake, how amazing her ingredients and products are in general. So if you, dear listener, want to support her, I will link to her website. Again, it's H-O-P-F Hoff. And she's got a lot there. There's more that I want to try. If you're in Los Angeles, you can go find her in some stores out here. You can just go to her website. You'll find all the details. And I'm pretty sure she delivers around the country, but I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. So especially during the summer months, it might be challenging for her, but it's worth it. Even if you got the powder, the chocolate elixir powder, which I think is fairly easy to send in the mail, that is so delightful because she makes iced hot chocolate with it. And so I had to try it. And I just had another one today. I mixed the powder into some hot water and then combined that into my coffee latte and had this incredible chocolate mushroom latte with a little bit of stevia added in. And it gave me lots of energy and made me feel really good drinking it. So I was going to say that explains your energy level over this episode, Whitney. It's not that you're low energy on episodes. I just feel like this one in particular, you've been like a few notches on the dial higher. (laughs) It's like that explains it. Oh, I don't know if it's just that or that I got really fired up on the subject matter. All right. One more thing before we move into the frequently asked queries. Yesterday was National Frankenstein or Frankenstein Day. But today, August 31st, right? Hold on. Let me double check this. I think it's today. It doesn't really matter. One of these days is National Trail Mix Day. So, <laughs> What the hell? I'm curious, National Jason. National Trail Mix? I'm curious. Do you have a favorite trail mix combination or a brand that you really like that makes a trail mix? I don't think that I have purchased a trail mix in God knows how many years. There was a brand. I don't know if they exist anymore. I haven't really looked for them in years. They were around in my early raw food days. Are <laughs> You'll laugh at this because I know why you'll laugh at it. David Kaplan had a company called Transition Nutrition. Shout out to David Kaplan. He had a bliss mix That was, I think, pistachios, coconut shreds, goji berries, and macadamia nuts back in the day. And that was pretty bomb. That is two of my favorite nuts, the top two, macadamias and pistachios. Threw in some really soft gojis, some coconut and spices. 
And, you know, it was like $25 a bag. It was something crazy. But that in terms of bagged trail mix, if any version of that is still out there, I'm giving an old school shout out to Transition Nutrition and their Bliss Mix. For me, if I'm going to make it, yeah, pistachios, mac nuts, cacao nibs, goji berries, mulberries, almonds, cashews. I'll throw in a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of cardamom, a little bit of sea salt, shake it up in a bag and you're good to go. Wow. Well, I'm not a huge trail mix fan. I appreciate it, but I don't really love fruit or dried fruit. So I don't like go out of my way to have it. I wish I could remember off the top of my head, this brand that I have in the kitchen, which I'm not going to go get right now, but I will put in the show notes. I feel like it starts with the letter Z. I know the packaging, but I don't remember the brand name. So if you're curious, It was a very delightful mix with like sunflower seeds and dried cranberries. It was really good. I got a sample of it. And as far as trail mixes go, it was very satisfying. So I'll link to that brand, that mystery brand in the show notes to encourage you to go visit wellevator.com, which is again spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the show notes section and just type in trail mix, you'll find this episode and if you scroll to the bottom, there'll be a link of all the different resources, a list of resources. All the links will be there to every brand we've mentioned. I do want to give a shout out. When I did a quick search for Vegan Trail Mix, one of the brands that we really enjoy came up, which is Nina Gourmet. They make a sprouted trail mix made with pure maple syrup. And I think it's all raw with seeds, nuts, coconuts, dates, and maple syrup. It looks lovely. I don't think I've tried it. Nina makes wonderful chocolates, not to compete with Hoff, but they're both LA-based. Kind of similar, but different flavors, different varieties of things. So if you want to support two small businesses that are made with a lot of passion and you want some trail mix, check out Nina in addition to Hoff chocolates. All right, let's do our quick run-through the frequently asked queries, Jason. And this might be tough for you because some of these we could probably do whole episodes on and maybe we will. Number one, I can answer this one very quickly, was where to buy Mad Tasty. Mad Tasty is a sparkling water brand that I am obsessed with. They are based in Los Angeles, but you can get them in different parts of the country now in some stores. And I think they might ship around the country. You'll have to double check The best way to find out is just to go to madtasty.com and that'll give you all the information if you can order online or if you can find it locally in some stores. They're in a ton of coffee shops and cafes in Los Angeles and in some stores. In fact, I just saw them at a little store that I love called Pantry LA. They just started selling there and that store is delightful. If you live in Los Angeles, please go to Pantry LA because It is kind of like a mini air one, which you probably know if you're in the area, or just like a mini natural market. It's upscale, it's pricey, but it's nice to go in there because they have a great curated section or selection, I should say, a curated selection of wonderful natural products. Most of them are organic. Some of them are biodynamic. That's a huge passion of theirs. Just wonderful people that work there. They've got a coffee bar. They make matcha there. It's awesome. And they do sell Mad Tasty. But Mad Tasty is pretty easy to find in LA. 
Look on their website, though, to see where you can get it yourself and try to order it online. It's lovely. They have three different flavors of sparkling CBD water that Jason and I absolutely love. Okay, Jason, for a query, we already had a kind of a funny one. Talking about Frankenstein and vegan trail mix, I think counts as funny. What does this phrase mean to you? Keep the magic alive was the query. I think that I've heard that phrase mostly in conjunction with romantic relationships, that people that are uh, in deep romantic relationships for a period of time, I've sort of seen that phrase with coaches or relationship experts saying, you know, I'll teach you how to keep the magic alive. That's the most, I think, colloquially used phrase. I've seen that before. To me, though, it also reminds me a little bit of Dr. Wayne Dyer's work where he talks about keeping the magic alive and, and not dying with your song still inside of you. But the immediate hit is, is relationships. And I think that, that comes up a lot, right, is you have this spark with someone and it's the initial hormones and pheromones and sexual attraction and you know the, the sex and physical connection is crazy. And then not all cases, but many cases, that kind of fizzles. So yeah, keeping the magic alive, I usually associate with, I guess, trying to rekindle the spark in, in a romantic context. Yeah, I would say so too, but I think it can absolutely be extended to all different aspects of your life. And so I suppose a great note to end on here is to encourage you to keep the magic alive, even if you feel let down by life, scared, if you're noticing the uncertainty, if you're feeling confused, misled, misinformed, we talked a lot about those things today and bringing up Disney, for example, which feels very magical. And sometimes we just want to focus on the magic. We don't want to focus on the downsides of a big company like Disney. Sometimes we want to just believe that Frankenstein is a monster and not a doctor. <laughs> sometimes we want to believe in Santa and the Easter Bunny, and all of these things. There's nothing wrong with believing in magic. I think, though, we can know the truth and still feel the magic, and we can do scary things like going on road trips and notice the magic along the way, and we can also find the magic in hard times. I think life in itself is magic, and being alive is magic. So to keep the magic alive, I would say it's like just being alive is a magical experience. I think that's probably like the biggest quotable of the day, Whitney. Being alive is a magical experience. Yeah, just being present to the magic and the beauty and the wonder that already exists around us. That's beautiful. So, dear listener, thank you for being with us as always here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. As we have mentioned throughout this episode, for all of the resources and things that we mentioned and all of our social media links, go to our website, which is wellevator.com. Again, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, YouTube, and also TikTok. It is at Wellevator. And we will be back again with another magical journey with subjects that are going to take us to places we didn't expect. But hey, that's a microcosm of life, right? So wait a second. You never told the inside joke about Frankenstein. Oh, <laughs> you're right. I didn't. Okay. Quick story as we wrap at the tail end here. Ha <laughs> tail end. You'll see why that's a pun. Two and a half years ago in the early, early spring, this was early March of 2018, I adopted my French bulldog, Bella. If any longtime listeners who follow me on Instagram or any of my social media channels 
You have seen many pictures and videos of my sweet Frenchie, my mini Frenchie Bella. I adopted her and about, I would say, a week or two, no more than two weeks after I adopted her, Whitney at the time was going on a little trip for her birthday. And Whitney asked me if I would watch her Jack Russell Terrier, Evie. And Evie and I, I consider Evie almost like my dog. I've known Evie for, what, eight years now. We're very, very familiar and loving with each other. So Evie was here with Bella, who again was brand new, had her about two weeks here at the house. And I was feeding them in different locations. I somehow had left the door open and was distracted. And remember, I had left the front door open. And all of a sudden, I heard some crazy barking, screeching, and then like a, oh, and I run out. And Bella is kind of looking concerned, like, I didn't do anything. And Evie is bleeding from the face. So much so that I had to take Evie in the next day and get, I think, four or five stitches in her face. And Evie's all healed and fine, but she does have a slight scar on her face. And so (laughs) as a joke, after her stitches came out, I started to call her Frankenstein because, as you may know, the Frankenstein monster was covered in scars and stitches made up of different human body parts. So one of many Evie's nicknames is now Frankenstein. So there you go. There's the backstory. (laughs) (laughs) And now you've also explained to people what can go wrong because I was on a road trip and my dog had to get stitches. So hopefully that does not happen this time on my next road trip, Jason. No, we're going to keep it injury free. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.